Hello and welcome to the Cat Maste Chronicles podcast. We have exciting, interesting and powerful stories from pet owners about their projects, businesses and ventures. I'm your host, Michelle Adams, founder of Chatty Cats Care, London's professional cat sitting company. Join me as I dive deep into conversation with pet owners to chat about their individual journeys and of course, their beloved pets. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Cat Mass Day Chronicles podcast. This week I am joined by Iona Allen. She is an Australian violinist and one of our wonderful cat sitters at Chatty Cats Care. Iona moved to London four years ago to start a master's degree in music and has been performing, teaching violin and of course looking after our chatty cats. She grew up with a variety of animals in Australia, including a bird, guinea pig, and finally, after many years of begging her mother on her 14th birthday, she gave in and she got her dream pet, a cat. Iona's beautiful cat, Dusty, was a rescue and in quite poor condition um, when she first got her. Her fur actually looked like it was covered in dust, hence the inspiration behind the name, um, Uh, The story about Iona's beloved cat is so sweet and I'm excited to hear all about it. So without further ado, thank you so much for joining us today, Iona. I've briefly introduced you, but if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit more about yourself, that would be great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Michelle. Um, So yeah, my name is Iona and... um, I'm primarily a classical musician, a violinist, um, and I now live in London after growing up in Australia. Um, And I absolutely love animals. Um, Obviously, cats are a bit of a favourite, but but I also, um, as you mentioned, I, I had a bird growing up and a guinea pig, and I was obsessed with horses as well. Um, So... Yeah, I, all animals, anything to do with animals is just, I'm all over it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I, I spend most of my days um, either practicing the violin or performing or teaching. Um, and it's just sort of, you know, navigating that freelance life now. Yeah, exactly. But um, going back to Australia, what part did you live in by the way I forgot to ask and also what was it like there? Um, yeah so I'm from Brisbane in Queensland and um, I grew up there it was very hot tropical weather um, <laughs> which I've never been a big fan of um, so <laughs> uh, yeah I ended up um, spending lots of time um sort of outdoors just because that's kind of the Australian lifestyle Mm. um I was very fortunate to have quite a big um front yard backyard we had a swimming pool which I used to love in the summer um so it was yeah very sort of classic Australian you know it was very hot all the time uh we were encouraged to be outdoors a lot although I didn't particularly like that um (laughs) So yeah, when when we got my cat, she was actually an indoor cat. Ah. So um, yeah, but we had um, a really nice back veranda, um, which we were able to have screened in, so she could get a bit of a sense of being outdoors, but ah, okay. without her going out into the actual yard. I see, I see. So I guess the transition of coming here was quite a big shock or or difference I guess yeah I mean London is very very different to Australia in a lot of ways um but it was actually something I was I was quite keen to do because I do despite growing up sort of in the outer suburbs we lived quite far from the city of 
like we've still lived technically in the city of Brisbane, mm. but um, Australian cities are much, much bigger than the cities here in the UK. Um, so we were quite far out from the main centre of the city, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming to London and obviously the lifestyle is much more fast paced. Mm. Everything is a lot closer together. Yeah. Um, there's a lot less outdoor space, you know, because it's just all buildings and houses. And um, so it, it was quite different in that regard. Um, yeah. But I, I really like it actually. I think in a way, in a funny kind of a way, I, I am more of a city person. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's funny because I feel like we always want the opposite of what we have because like growing up here in London I feel like sometimes I do crave like big open spaces and I often go to Scotland to just try and get away from like the hustle and bustle of the city but yeah I guess it can yeah (laughs) um let's talk (laughs) about your love for music and violin of course um when did it all start Um, so it actually started pretty young Um, my my mum was very keen to start me with music lessons as a child so she actually started taking me to piano lessons first um, when I was about three I was really little Mm. Um, but I didn't particularly like the piano um, at least not as a three and four year old Um, and uh so when I started at school um the school that I went to they had quite an unusual music program in the sense that um it was the school's policy for every child to learn the violin wow so you turned up for your first day of school and you were handed a tiny violin and we all started from our pretty much first day of school um so we had group lessons at school of about I think there was about 10 in our class um and so I I I honestly I feel for the poor teacher who had to teach us in groups of 10 um but I I started really enjoying it and um the school sent home a letter saying that Um, if your child is interested in progressing quicker we offer outside of school private violin lessons which you can sign up for as like an extracurricular and um, I still remember the day that my mum came to me with the letter and said oh you know you seem to be enjoying the violin would you be interested in having private lessons and then you know you'll get to play new pieces quicker and I went yeah yeah that sounds really good I'd I'd like that um so I started having private lessons when I was about five um and seemed to take to it um and that doesn't mean that it was sort of smooth sailing the whole way through I mean I was I was a kid and there are definitely times when you just don't want to practice it's like anything I mean you can be the most academic kid at school but there will be days when you just don't want to do your homework Mm. um or you know I think it it goes across with everything in life Mm. um so there were definitely times when I didn't want to pick up the violin and my mum really had to push me (laughs) to practice um but yeah it was just something that ended up becoming a fixture in my life it was a constant thing that um, that I kept all through school. So yeah, it, it wasn't, I mean, really, I owe it all to the school (laughs) because they hadn't, yeah, if they hadn't handed me that violin, who knows, I, I might have never realized that I really loved it. Absolutely. No, I am fully supportive of schools that encourage creativity, whether it be through music or art or acting or dancing. I fully, you know, advocate that. And I think that it should be, you know, compulsory in all schools, especially in the UK. I feel like it's lacking quite a lot here. Definitely, definitely. And 
I mean, I do quite a bit of teaching in schools here in London now, mm. and I see it. You know, the schools where they introduce music very early on. Yeah, you do see how it impacts those students further down the line,、mm. um, and the impact is only positive. You know,、um, so, and I mean, there are some schools where I go in and I teach slightly older grades, and if it's the first time that they're having a music lesson, when they're in, you know, year seven, year eight, it's it's not that it's too late, but you can just you have to work so much harder、yeah. if you're starting at that later age. I mean, children are. They're like sponges when they're little.、Mm. You know, they just absorb everything and really take it on board. So, yeah, there just needs to be policy change, really, and it needs to be, you know, a change that is supported. I think that sometimes with policy changes, it needs to be something that is experienced by. Everyone, so that you can kind of,、yeah. I don't know, so that you can understand the impact of of how good it can be. Like you just said, you know, you do notice the difference of when children start very early on in comparisons to you know if they start later. So I think yeah, know, just about who you know the the people who are in charge to recognize that and and to make those changes. But who knows? We live in hope. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you came here four years ago, and two of those years have been in the midst of a global pandemic, which you know, yeah, none of us expected. <laughs> But what did that mean for you? Yeah, what did that mean for you? And how did things change in terms of your performances and your teaching? What happened? Um, well, it was a fairly dramatic impact、um, because, unfortunately, a lot of what I do relies on large groups of people coming together.、Mm. <laughs> um, so, obviously, I usually do performances to fairly large-sized audiences,、mm. um, and of course, the first thing to go was any kind of group activity. With large numbers, so、um, any kind of concerts really had to stop or just quite abruptly. And a lot of the playing that I do is with other musicians. I predominantly play in orchestras,、um, mm. so I'm usually playing with anywhere between twenty and a hundred other musicians on the stage at the same、wow. time.、Um, so again. That just had to stop because we couldn't be in such close proximity,、um, and you know we we couldn't have an audience.、Mm -hmm. So basically, all of my performing work ground to a complete halt,、um, and I was actually in the process of cutting back my teaching、um, before the pandemic hit because my performing work was going so well that.、Um, I just couldn't really commit to teaching people regularly、um, because I just constantly had rehearsals and performances.、Um, so I'd actually gotten rid of some of my teaching, and then all of a sudden, yeah, all the performances stopped, and teaching was one of the only things that remained because there was this push to try and transition to teaching online. Yeah.、Um, so. For the first part of the pandemic, I ended up not so much teaching, but more just creating online music training resources.、Okay. Um, so I I work for a music hub that provides、um, various music services to schools and communities within West London,、wow. um, and so they started up a sort of online. Uh, music school during the lockdown, and、um, so I was creating some resources like worksheets, YouTube tutorial type videos、okay. um, on how to read and write music,、um, and just sort of basics、um, that they could send out to the students,、um, and then sort of last year when. Things started easing up a bit. I was able to then 
go into a couple of schools um, because, of course, schools were one of the first things to reopen. Um, so I was teaching in a school, um, doing some whole class violin teaching. Wow. So kind of like what I had experienced yeah. as a child. I was yeah. I was now teaching yeah. a large group of young children picking up the violin wow. from scratch. Um, they were a little bit older than I was. They're about seven years old, I think. Um, but it was actually a really rewarding experience because after months of pretty much no um, performing and no interactions with anyone um, to then see the excitement on these children's faces <laughs> when they were handed a violin. And um, I think there's something really special about being able to inspire these young children and make them enjoy music. And um, I had this one class in particular who were just absolute angels and not only do I think I inspired them, but they inspired me with their enthusiasm and they really gave me hope, um, which I think was just, yeah, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it was needed. And so good that you had that teaching to fall back on, because even though, like you mentioned, you were kind of dropping some of the teaching so that you could focus on the performances, I think it's such a good idea to have that as a background as well so that you could you know do both in, in situations like this that we never expect at least you had something to kind of like fall onto um because I think yeah. so many musicians struggled so many people struggled oh, absolutely and we had um there were a few people that I've performed with in the past um who suggested that we try and present some online performances mm. um so I did actually record a couple of um sort of online concerts mm. that we were able to stream um but I mean they were they were personally quite rewarding because it gave me a purpose and it gave me something to do during a lockdown period <laughs> um but musically they weren't quite so rewarding because mm. you couldn't experience the audience reaction yeah. um you know re recording to a camera is not the same as playing to a person um so it was I found it to be quite a frustrating process because it was good to have a purpose and a goal to wor work towards with my playing but I just didn't find it rewarding in the same way yeah, absolutely. That's a part of the whole performance is to have that engagement with the audience, not just the playing itself, but to have that interaction. So, yeah, completely absolutely. understand that. Yeah. Um, so finally, you've now started to perform again. I, I've seen some of your yes. posts and I know <laughs> that you've been doing some shows and I think it's amazing. I need to come. <laughs> I really want to. Um, but can you tell us about some of your favourite places or, or concerts that you've performed at since, you know, things have been the new normal? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been very lucky that I've had a few um a few performances in the last couple of months um, and honestly every single one of them has just been a dream because yeah. I think you know you're it's suddenly given me um, so much more gratitude <laughs> after having not had performances for so long now it's like yeah. every single chance I get to perform is just oh, such an incredible experience that I'm so grateful for um, but I've I've done a couple of performances um, with the Bath Festival Orchestra now. Okay. Um, they're a relatively well. They've recently relaunched, um, and we've gotten to play at beautiful venues such as um, Bath Abbey. Wow. And uh, we did a fundraising event at Badminton Estate, which was just stunning. Wow. Like really, really beautiful venues, both of them. Um, and then just recently over this summer, uh, I got to travel to Germany, <laughs> which I never thought was going to happen. Um, and I got to perform at a music festival in a little town called Bodensee, which is right on the border of Germany and Switzerland. Nice. Um, 
And again, the church that we performed in there was just gorgeous. And the whole town was so beautiful. It was right on the Rhine. Um, it was so green. We had perfect weather. I honestly, it was just the most incredible experience. Yeah, and the perfect opportunities to get back into it. I think like what you said is so true for so many people now because so my background is in theatre and I used to go to the theatre all the time before the lockdown. So I haven't actually been back since, but I know that, you know, now that the performances are starting again, I think that all of the artists and the actors, they're going to give it their all because they're probably going to feel the same as you said, like so appreciative to be there and just happy to be able to perform again to an audience. Absolutely. It's it's something that I feel like I really took for granted before. Um, So now getting to getting to play to a live audience is just it's honestly it's like what I live for (laughs) I'm I'm so excited for my next performances I'm like okay just get me in a hall give me an audience I'm ready to play (laughs) and people are ready to hear it honestly because yeah like you said the online concerts they're nice but it's just not the same yeah (laughs) Um, what's next on the cards for you then so do you have any performances that you can share with us that are upcoming or or any collaborations what what are you doing now um so I'm I'm hopeful that there's a few more things coming up although I can't quite confirm them yet just because obviously still a lot of things are not being confirmed until quite last minute um because there are still you know, unfortunately, there are still COVID regulations and things yeah. are ever changing. So I'm finding that a lot of orchestras and concert organisers are sort of asking you to keep some dates free and then we'll confirm closer to the time. <laughs> so yeah. um, I don't have any concerts that I can really plug at the moment, okay. but um, I'm definitely working on a couple of things okay. myself behind the scenes. Um because I'd like to try and um, actually try and do a few more solo things. Mm. Um, As I said, a lot of what I do normally is orchestral, but um, it's hard to get those large groups together at the moment. So um, I'm looking at the possibility of planning a couple of my own concerts um, that would either be um, just myself or with a couple of my close musician friends um and I'm certainly hoping that I might be able to have a couple of things ready to go in time for sort of around Christmas yeah that kind of thing nice have you ever thought about like weddings yeah I actually I've played three weddings in the last week Um, wow yeah (laughs) I played at two weddings this Saturday just gone and I played another wedding the one before and I've also played for a few um, proposals and engagements Wow! Um, so yeah I absolutely do that and it's it's actually quite a lot of fun Um, it's there's a little bit of pressure because obviously you don't want to ruin someone's (laughs) special day Um, and getting the timing right is crucial because you don't want to play the bride's song too soon but yeah, that's that's been a bit of fun recently, and it's nice to see that people are able to get married again, yes. um, with you know, with all of their friends and family, and not just a group of six. Exactly, oh, and it must be just nice to have to be a part of someone's big day like that. Yeah, it's it's really nice because you know that you you really are appreciated, mm-hmm. um, because I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people don't actually realize what a difference to an atmosphere and an environment the music can make Mm. um so it's just like the little things that can make such a big difference so just yeah providing a little bit of background music while the guests are arriving is quite a common request yeah and then of course you really set the tone for when it's the big moment to walk down the aisle so um we've had some some fun song requests as well actually um yeah 
it's always interesting to see um you know what a bride and groom put on their song requests um you know you can tell a lot about someone's personality by the sort of music that they listen to yeah 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 um so we had one um I did one wedding recently that was very traditional um they they wanted um just sort of traditional classical music Mm. for um their guests and then they wanted to walk down the aisle to the canon in D, Pachelbel's canon, which is very common. Um, beautiful piece of music, but you know, it's it's kind of if in your list of standard wedding music, yeah. it's probably the top of the list at the moment. Yeah. Um, and then they had a couple of more like upbeat pop requests okay. um, for the exit music because you know it should be a celebration. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then there was another wedding that I played at recently where they obviously didn't want to take it too seriously. Um, <laughs> all of their requests were songs like Gold Digger and Rude no, Boy. And- <laughs> no. yeah. I, I love that. Thing. I think that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was great fun. Um, but we just, as soon as we saw the song list, we went, okay, this is going to be a really chilled couple. Yeah. Like they're not going to be high stress or anything. Yeah. That's so cool. Wow. I'm glad that I asked that question because I didn't know if you did yeah. things or not. So that's really cool to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if anyone's listening, you know where to find Iona. So hit her up. <laughs> yeah, weddings, proposals, corporate <laughs> events, you name it. <laughs> Amazing. Um, do you have any musical inspirations, like whether they be, you know, dead or alive? Like, who are they and why do they inspire you? Oh, that's actually a really good question. Mm. Um, this might sound a little bit strange coming from a classical musician, mm. but um, an artist that I actually really love and is a little bit of a guilty pleasure of mine is actually Ariana Grande. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I, I kind I, of understand why. I started to really yeah. get into her, like, during, was it during the lockdown? It was, like, two years ago. I, I can't remember yeah. what album, album it was that she released, but I was thinking, wow, like, this is really good. And the songs were really catchy as well. Her voice is amazing. Yeah, so, yeah. her voice is incredible, mm-hmm. and she's just got such an amazing range. Yeah, And I find that the majority of her songs are – they're just a bit less standard, if that yeah. makes sense, in terms of, you know, she really uses her vocal range. And um, I actually got really inspired during the sort of winter lockdowns because she just released a new album and I was feeling a little bit down mm. um, because, you know, it was yet another lockdown and no concerts anymore and I ended up just sort of like improvising along to some of her new songs um I would just pop it on in the background and get out my violin and just start experimenting and seeing what I could come up with to sort of play over the top of her tracks and it was actually it was super fun and it kind of re-inspired me and encouraged me and motivated me to sort of get back into practicing because I was just feeling no motivation at that point um so just doing something a bit different that wasn't your standard classical but actually just going to a pop artist Mm. and just having a bit of fun with it it kind of re-inspired me um so she's definitely one um but then classically there are a couple of incredible violinists out there um James Enna's is like an idol of mine. He just has the most incredible violin technique and the most beautiful sound. Um, and yeah, he's definitely someone that I look up to as. And is, is like, he Australian? I could only dream of being. Uh, no, he's Canadian actually. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, fantastic, fantastic violinist. Um, and then another classical string quartet who I absolutely love is the Doric string quartet. Um, I first met them almost 11 years ago now, which is ridiculous. Um, and they, they're a, 
an English group, but they'd come out to Australia to actually tutor at a chamber music course that I was playing at. And um, the cellist in the group and the violist in the group, I think as well, the two of them um, were tutoring the the group that I was playing with and they gave a performance um, because we would, it was like, it was a music camp where we would get lessons during the day. And then in the evenings, the tutors would perform concerts for us. Um, And so that group, that quartet, they, I remember (laughs) hearing their tutor performance and my jaw was just on the ground. It was so incredible. Um, They just, the, the four musicians made the most blended and gorgeous sound that mm. I had never heard anything like it before. And um, so I've been following them quite avidly ever since. <laughs> um, and uh, amazingly, you know, a few years later, I found myself in London, got in contact with them and said, hey, I'm, I'm actually in London, if you remember me now from when you tutored me in Australia. Um, and I've been to quite a few of their concerts oh, and... Yeah, I'm, I'm still. I still get on quite well with them, which is really nice. But they are, they're incredible. So yeah, Doric Quartet. If you ever get the chance to see them, I highly recommend. They sound amazing. Yeah, I love music. I mean, I love musicianship. Where, like you said, it blends so well, and they must work so well together. Um, and that really. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for the recommendation. (laughs) Um, Do you have any advice for any musicians? Sorry. Do you have any advice for any musicians that felt deflated? Like you spoke about, you know, during the winter lockdown, you felt quite low and then you listened to Ariana Grande. What did you keep? Like, was that what you did to keep your kind of creative juices flowing what would you recommend for any other musicians that felt like quite you know low and deflated um yeah you know I would actually say the thing that helped me the most was to actually just stop associating my music with what I normally associate it with and look at something different so for me you know, classical music is primarily what I do. And obviously there's a strong emphasis on the perfect technique and making sure that you play every single note absolutely accurately, um, which, you know, can breed quite a toxic mentality sometimes because in that search for perfection, um, when you can't get it perfect, it can just feel a bit like you're going nowhere. Um, And I'm a very goal-oriented person, so having everything just sort of stop and lock down, all of my goals disappeared. And so my practice just kind of felt like, well, what's the point? I mean, yeah, I'm striving for for perfection, but perfection of what? Mm. You know, there's nothing that... So I think just taking a step back and thinking, okay, let's just not be a classical musician for a second. Let's look at this differently um, and look at another genre where you don't feel the pressure to create something perfect. So in my case, improvising to some pop music, there Mm. is no pressure there. I'm not doing it for anybody. I'm not trying to play something that already exists I'm creating something brand new um and I wasn't doing it for any particular reason you know there was no pressure for it to be of a particular standard it was just something to do for fun and it kind of helped me take a step back and be like oh yeah at the end of the day music is supposed to be something that's enjoyable (laughs) it's not supposed to be a chore it's not supposed to make you feel worse um And so I found that doing things like that, something that was not in my genre, that was not in my line of work, essentially. Yeah. um, That really, really helped. And I think it could probably work 
in the reverse. So if you were a pop musician and you were like, oh, I need to write this song, but I just have no motivation. It's like, why not just try going in a completely different genre? Don't give yourself the pressure of having to create something perfect, but just experiment with some some other kind of music that you're interested in, but might not necessarily do professionally. Um, and I think it just... Yeah, it gets the creative juices flowing yeah. and it yeah. just reminds you that, hey, this should be a fun thing. And um, I think it's nice now that we are seeing that events and things are coming back. So yeah. that also just instills me with a bit of hope that, you know, things are coming back and it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, what I really love like that mixture, like you said, of different genres like of pop and classical like you um you recorded a video and posted it of you playing Chandelier by Sia. And I've actually seen yeah. like recently some um, concerts that are, are an orchestra, but they're playing Beyonce's album. And I just think that's so yeah. cool. I really want to oh, go to one. Yeah. Honestly, I want to play one of those gigs. I've, I mean, I've done a couple of pop crossover gigs in the past, but I haven't really done any of them since I've been in London um, and it's definitely something I'd love to do because I do it just kind of takes the pressure off when you're doing something that's not the norm yeah um and it's it's something that you can just have a bit of fun with I mean obviously like you can't play badly but <laughs> I think once you've gotten to the level of professionalism you know you're not going to play badly um, but there's less emphasis on, you know, that absolute 100% accuracy exactly. of a classical concert. Um, and I know that there is actually a nice movement that's going on at the moment f from within the classical industry to sort of reduce that pressure on musicians to feel a little bit less competitive and... Mm more about you know, about the music rather than about technical precision um but ultimately you've got to find a balance there so I personally find that I just feel a bit less pressure if I'm in a situation that's you know another genre that I can just have a bit of fun with exactly exactly um and as a person who also loves classical music do you have any ideas or or recommendations of how you can encourage um, young people to give classical music a try, whether that's listening or playing? Yeah, well, I think there's definitely um, a bit of a stigma that surrounds classical music. And, you know, a lot of people think that it's this elite genre that's only for mm. old rich people, <laughs> um, which is totally not the case. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people make assumptions about classical music before they've even listened to it. Mm. And I would really, I think to get young people more involved, it, at the end of the day, it does just come down to expose, exposure. Yeah. Um, and I think the more we can get it into schools, yes. the more kids can realize that actually this is something that's really accessible to young people as well. Mm. And I mean, it's a bit different because obviously a lot of classical music is purely instrumental. So unlike pop or rap mm. or any of the more current genres, you don't have any lyrics to latch onto, which I think is possibly what, um, what turns people away from classical, I think. Maybe. Um, but if people can just realise that classical doesn't always mean uh, floaty, light, pretty, you know, it, there's so many different styles within classical. Um, there really is something for everyone. And you might prefer something a bit more modern there's like a lot of 20th century music um is actually quite edgy <laughs> um there's particularly like a lot of russian composers like shostakovich and prokofiev um there's some there's some composers that i really like to introduce to particularly teenagers usually quite enjoy that music because mm -hmm. 
it's it's almost like the heavy metal version of classical yeah um it's something that's a bit more edgy and it's not just your stereotypical oh pretty floaty slow notes um you've actually got a lot of really loud and aggressive um instrumental stuff going on in a lot of those pieces and then by contrast you know if what you do prefer is the slower more lyrical music there's so much out there and I just sort of but I think it is difficult to find good classical music that's not the sort of stock standard top 100 classical pieces right unless you know someone who's in the industry um so I think it'd be cool for people to just like go on Spotify and instead of looking up a classical playlist, Google some classical composers and then look for that composer on Spotify and I don't know, find a piece that maybe hasn't been listened to as many times. Cause you know how you can see how many times someone has streamed a song on Spotify, maybe like look for one that hasn't been streamed quite so much. Mm. And you might be surprised as to what you might find Um, because there's so much really cool music out there that, I mean, that even a lot of classical musicians don't know about. I'm always discovering new music and it's really, really cool. Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. For me personally as well, I feel like it really helps me to concentrate Classical is the only genre that I can listen to while I'm writing or, or doing something. For some reason, there's just a connect yeah. with how my brain works and it, it really helps me <laughs> really focus. When I was writing my dissertations for university, I'd always have it on in the background. Vivaldi, Mozart, all yeah. of it. I just, it just helps me so much. And I think it can really help a lot of people, a lot of young people. And I think, like you mentioned earlier, sometimes it is down to exposure. And um, sadly, you know, not every school has that opportunity. So um, I feel like it should be something that is definitely um, considered and and more young people should have access access to it. Sorry. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's also really important that, I know that there's quite a lot of orchestras, particularly in London, where they provide free family concerts. Um, I mean, usually they're the sort of thing that would happen over the summer. So I know that not quite so many of them have happened recently. Mm. Um, But orchestras like London Symphony Orchestra, they usually have a summer series in Trafalgar Square Mm. um, that's completely free and... Um, that's really great for families, you know, and, and, and older people as well, you know, like people in their twenties and thirties can pack a picnic and bring a few drinks and just sit and listen to like an hour of orchestral music. And that's also a really great way to introduce people to some new classical things that they might not have heard before. So true. And I'll definitely be looking out for the next one. then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, so you're also one of our amazing and very valued cat sitters at Chatty well, Cat. Thank Care. you. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, it's it's an honour to have you on the team. But why did you decide to apply for this role as a cat sitter, and how has it been so far for you? Oh well, honestly, it's it's been great. Like it's been <laughs> so nice to get my cat fix. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was sort of one of those things where. You know, I've been in London now for a few years and unfortunately with the whole renting situation, it's unusual for people to be able to have pets um, in flats in London if you're renting. So I haven't been able to have um, a cat of my own. And when I saw, I just happened to stumble across an Instagram post actually from Chatty Cats when you said that you were hiring and looking for new cat sitters and I thought oh this could be the jackpot here like I'd get to look after people's cats and you know it's yeah so it's, it's worked out really well um, oh I'm glad do you think that cats can appreciate music because you know what sometimes oh, I actually absolutely play. yeah do you ever play music for them <laughs> 
I mean, I haven't for any of the cats that I've looked after just because I feel like, you know, they're not my cat and I don't know I don't know if they've ever been exposed to music before, so I wouldn't want to freak them out. Um, But I know that certainly with my cat, Dusty, um, she she actually really loved it when I practiced my violin at home. Um, I think when we first got her, she was a little bit skeptical and was like, hang on, what is this noise? Um, But then she very quickly learned that it was normal because I was practicing every day. And um, it was really interesting to watch the way that she responded to different pieces of music. And I really do believe that cats, well, I mean, I think all animals, but obviously I've seen it in my own cat, um, that they do respond to music. And I think um, obviously classical music can definitely relax an animal, um, much like it relaxes humans. and I found that Dusty used to absolutely love um, whenever I played up really, really high on the instrument. Really? Um, so when I played high notes, she would actually come running up to me and would wow. rub herself up against my legs. She would weave in and out of my legs. Wow. Um, and sometimes she'd even meow as well. <laughs> um and but if I played something that was lower down on the instrument, that was a lower pitch, um, she didn't tend to like that so much. I mean, she didn't dislike it, but she didn't want to be as close to me right. um, if I was playing lower sounding notes. So um, she would often just go and find somewhere to curl up and have a nap if I was playing something lower. Wow, that's so interesting. I would love to discuss this with like a cat expert or something to see if there's yeah. <laughs> behind that. Maybe the high notes remind them of like a cat noise. I don't know. That's so interesting. I have no idea. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so like I'd love to test it out on other cats, yeah. but um, <laughs> I feel like, you know, when I'm looking after other people's pets, yeah. I don't want to just um, suddenly spring that on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe you can ask <laughs> just be like, oh, yeah, like some violet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. Wow, let me know. Um, but yeah, let's move on to talking about pets, which is also my favourite part. I know we've been talking about <laughs> them just now. Um, but yes, tell us a bit more about your life and journey with the pets so far. So yeah, tell us about your bird and your guinea pig and, and how that all started. Yeah, so I mean, the the bird his name was peewee um he was a little peach-faced love bird um so very small um and I used to call him my big brother because my mum actually had him from before I was born so when I was a baby my mum used to lie me out on a little rug and then um she would put a food cover over me yeah (laughs) that sounds like like one of those um sort of mesh okay uh, food cover things I know she would put that over me and peewee would sit on the top of the cover and just sort of look down at me (laughs) while I was a little baby yeah um and so we used to let him sort of fly around the house for periods throughout the day so he wasn't always in a cage um and as I got a bit older um and I started having toys if I had toys that had little parts to them he used to love to fly down pick up those little pieces and like toss them across the room (laughs) (laughs) and me being a child I did not like that we literally we used to fight like siblings you know I'd I'd go screaming to mom peewee's taken my toys (laughs) 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 Um, so we we didn't always get on so well because he was very much my mum's bird and um I was I literally grew up with him um so I didn't always understand <laughs> why, as a bird, he wouldn't give me my toys back. Um, and 
But he used to actually really like my violin playing as well. And um, yeah, so he lived quite a long life. I think he lived to be about 16. Wow. Um, yeah. And so we have pictures where I was about 12 or 13 and I'm holding my violin sort of mid-practice yeah. and the bird is sitting on my head he used to sit on my head while I practiced no oh my gosh do you still have those photos um I think somewhere oh. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure if I've got them here they might okay. be back in Australia um but yeah we we have some very funny photos of that oh, um cute. and uh while we had the bird um I got the guinea pig was sort of my first pet because as I said my mum had had the bird from before I was born um but when I was about nine years old um I really wanted a pet that was mine um and my mum had said that we still couldn't get a cat or a dog um it had to be something that would get along with the bird because the reason my mom didn't want to get a cat was obviously she thought having a cat and a bird in the same house might not be the best idea um so I got this guinea pig and her name was cuddles um (laughs) she was very very sweet and um she was my first pet that was my responsibility um but I was still quite young, you know, I was about nine. Yeah. Um, so it ended up, you know, she was my pet, but mum helped me out a lot <laughs> with just yeah. learning how to look after an animal properly. Yeah. Um, but she was very sweet and true to her name, she loved cuddles. Um, so it was very, very sweet. And, um, and I was also quite interested in horses at the time. So mm-hmm. I tried to, I tried to train my guinea pig to jump obstacles like a horse. <laughs> oh my I would set up, I would set up little jumps courses for her, and then I'd, you know, get a piece of celery and try to entice her over the jump with yeah. the promise of a piece of celery. Um, but no, we we had some really lovely times together, and um, but then yeah, it's sort of we went through and. By the time I was about 13, I think, both the guinea pig and the bird had passed away. Um, and so for the first time, my mum and I found ourselves without an animal in our lives. Mm-hmm. And um, and I sort of said to my mum, I was like, well, I know it's kind of a horrible thing to say, but we don't have a bird anymore, so does that mean that we can get a cat? Yeah. <laughs> um, And we sort of sat down and wrote a list of pros and cons about whether or not we should get a cat or perhaps we were also tossing up the possibility of a dog. Um, But we both decided that we thought a cat would be a better option just with our lifestyle as well. Um, And generally we thought a cat's a bit slightly lower maintenance than a dog as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Little did we know that we were about to have a very high maintenance cat (laughs) um we decided that yes we would get this cat but my mom suggested that we get a rescue rather than um you know because you know especially like pure breeds can be extremely expensive and we didn't have loads of money and my mom maintained that you know nine times out of ten a rescue is probably better just because you know the the mixed breeds tend to be a little bit stronger almost yeah um so we found a foster carer who had um some ads posted I think in the trading post or something like that and um she said that it was like twenty dollars per cat um which was obviously very cheap and because we had looked at going through like the RSPCA or something like that, but it was still a couple of hundred dollars with all their vaccinations and all that kind of thing. Um, And in hindsight, that probably would have worked out cheaper, but um, 
we went and we called this foster carer and we said, oh, do you have any kittens? Because we wanted to get a young cat. And she said, oh, we don't have any kittens, but we've got a 13-week-old. Is that okay? We went, well, isn't 13 weeks still a kitten? Yeah, <laughs> and she was like, exactly. oh. And she said, oh, well, technically only 12 weeks is a kitten and then 13, they're just a young cat. And we were thinking, gosh, okay, 13 is like, that's still young enough for us. That's fine. Um, But the lady said that this cat seemed quite affectionate and um, we said, well, cool, that's what we'd like. Um, So we went around and picked her up and we were warned that she was – still like quite shy um because she'd been rescued from um another foster carer who had basically kind of lost control and wasn't rehoming any of her cats and so they were just breeding and in very very bad conditions so um this little kitten hadn't had only ever really experienced life in poor conditions with loads of other cats um and as you mentioned you know when we got her her coat looked like it was covered in a layer of dust um and yeah we took her straight to the vet and turned out that um you know we thought that she was just a little bit um you know perhaps a little bit like malnourished or, you know, just needed some some care and some looking after. And she had some bald patches on her tail and um, on her face as well, which the vet thought could have been uh, ringworm. But, you know, she had one of those tools that was supposed to scan um, for ringworm. And she said, oh, this shows up 95% of ringworm. And she scanned it and she's like, oh, no, no ringworm. Must have just been, you know, something that she rubbed herself up against something and so we took Dusty home and uh introduced you know all the neighbors came round to visit the new kitten and um <laughs> and then a couple of days later we all came down with ringworm no. <laughs> um, so it turned out there was that five percent that didn't show up under this special light scan um and she did have ringworm and we managed oh. to give it to everyone <laughs> yeah um so it was several trips to the vet and we had to get all of her vaccinations done we needed to get her de-sexed and microchipped and she did not take well to having to wear one of those plastic cones (laughs) around her head Mm. um she really didn't like that so yeah and she was quite a clumsy cat as well here we were thinking that she was going to be a nice, sturdy, uh, mixed breed. And she seemed to go against all the stereotypes of cats. <laughs> she could not land on her feet. She oh. just absolutely could not land on her feet. She was constantly running into things. <laughs> um, you know, we, we had a sort of L-shaped hallway and she would constantly miss the turning down the hallway and end up just running straight into the into the wall um and so I mean so much so that she once um caught her eye on the corner of the wall and um we had to give her tablets to you know take down the swelling and everything and so we discovered that you know putting a tablet into a little ball of mincemeat she absolutely loved that so okay great um this is this is how we feed our cat tablets now um and yeah she so she was a very accident prone kitten so certainly the first year or so of having her was um not quite what we'd expected (laughs) but she was super affectionate and super loving and she really bonded with me very very quickly um which is exactly what we'd wanted. And as I said, she broke all the stereotypes of cats, um, including the fact that she wanted love and attention all the time. You know, Um, she would follow you all the way around the house. She was like a puppy. She would just sort of follow you wherever you go. 
Um, and as soon as I sat down, she was jumping up on my lap, um, which meant that it was very difficult to get anything done because <laughs> once the cat was on my lap, I just, I didn't want to move. And yeah. I loved giving her pats and cuddles, but then it meant that I didn't really get anything done because <laughs> I didn't want to leave the cat. I didn't want to push her off. Um, so I was very, very lucky with her that she was just the most loving, sweetest cat um, and really gave me and my mum many, many years of just love and companionship. Um, and I know that as difficult as it was for me to leave her when I moved out of home, um, it was really good for my mum to be able to then have that companion. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so she, um, Dusty sadly passed away last year, um, which was not great timing given it was like during lockdowns and everything. Um, but, uh, my mum has now got a new cat. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy for her. Um, because I think it's, it's just wonderful and it's another rescue. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that if I can ever make it back to Australia, um, I'll get to meet the new cat. Oh, you will. Um, and I know, <laughs> of course, you wouldn't change anything about Dusty for the world because she just sounds absolutely amazing. Um, but what advice would you give to someone now that you've kind of experienced that, who wants to adopt a rescue cat, say that's maybe in a poor condition or had like quite a tough, you know, um, first part of, of their life? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say go for it. Like, don't think that just because they're a rescue cat means that they'll be any less loving, because I think in most cases, it's the opposite they're more loving because they've they've had to suffer some form of neglect in which yeah. case they you know, they really appreciate the loving home that you're giving them but I would say definitely based on our experience um perhaps pay the extra money and get the cat from somewhere like an RSPCA where they've okay. already done the vet work for you yeah um I mean obviously if you're rescuing the cat yourself in that like if you found it or something that might be a different situation but um if you're wanting to look for a rescue cat I would suggest going to an animal shelter or an RSPCA where they've already given them their vaccinations and things and have had them all vet checked it might cost a little bit more money than if you were to you know get one from the paper or mm. an internet ad or something but it's well worth um, because otherwise you'll be the one doing all the trips backwards and forwards to the vet to get them sorted out. Um, but I think aside from that, also just having patience with them um, because obviously they might have gone through something distressing, so they might be a bit less inclined to be super affectionate at the beginning because they may be a bit more distrusting of humans so I think just having the patience to you know let them explore their new home without too much interference from you and then let them sort of come to you as they feel more comfortable which they will but you know they just need time sometimes I think yeah it's true it's true um has being a cat owner well with Dusty taught you anything about yourself Ooh, um, I think it's it's definitely taught me that. Um, well, it taught me patience. <laughs> That's one thing, yeah. um, because I think, especially as a child, like I'm an only child, so um, I very much grew up with this mentality that you know everyone and everything could sort of do things as I wanted yeah. <laughs> um and obviously animals don't work that way exactly. um so 
having Dusty, she definitely taught me patience because <laughs> if she didn't want me to do something, she let me know. <laughs> um, and I definitely, you know, we did have to have patience with her because I remember the day that we brought her home, I was so desperate to just, you know, pick her up and give her constant cuddles. Yeah. Um, and she was just, she was not ready for that. She was too scared. This was a new environment. This was something very strange. Um, so, yeah, I'd say patience was probably the biggest thing she taught me. Aww. So true. And it's actually a really good way to, if you are, you know, or if you do have a single child to, to introduce a cat into their life, because it really, it's like a, having a sibling. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you get to learn so many more things about, you know, sharing and, you know, um, patience and, yeah, so many values. So, yeah, really good to have a cat or a dog as, as a pet. Definitely. But, um, yeah. Thank you so much um, for talking to me today, Ion. It's been really lovely speaking to you again. Um, Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Uh, Lastly, if the listeners want to find out more about you and your accounts online and your music, where can they find you? Um, Yeah, so I do have my own website, uh, which is www.ionaallenviolin.com. Um, and I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Facebook is Iona Allen Violinist, and my Instagram handle is at Iona V L N. So that's I O N A V L N. Um, and yeah, I usually post um, probably mostly on Instagram these days, um, but I do also try to keep my Facebook and website up to date. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you again. It's been wonderful speaking to you and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, you too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We have some amazing guests on the show who share such invaluable advice, stories and inspiration. Can you do me a favour? If you like this podcast, please could you rate, review and subscribe. This will help us reach people who can benefit from listening. Another way you could help is if you could tell a friend who you think might enjoy this podcast too. See you next week. Goodbye.